0: Sarah lived for a hundred and twenty seven years, these were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan, and Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. And Abraham rose up from before his dead and said to the Hittites I am a sojourner and foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place, that I may bury my dead out of my sight. The Hittites answered Abraham, Hear us, my lord. You are a prince of God among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will withhold from you his tomb to hinder you from burying your dead. Abraham rose and bowed to the Hittites, the people of the land, and he said to them, If you are willing that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and entreat for me, Ephron, the son of Zohar, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he owns. It is at the end of his field. For the full price, let him give it to me in your presence as a property for a burying place. Ephron answered Abraham, My Lord, listen to me. A piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver What is that between you and me? Bury your dead. Abraham listened to Ephron, and Abraham weighed out for Ephron the silver that he had named in the hearing of the Hittites. 400 shekels of silver, according to the weights current among the merchants. After this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah, east of Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. The field and the cave that is in it were made over to Abraham as property for a burying place by the Hittites. These are the days of the years of Abraham's life, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. Isaac and Ishmael his sons buried him in the cave of Machpelah in the field of Ephron the son of Zohar the Hittite east of Mamre, the field that Abraham purchased from the Hittites. There, Abraham was buried with Sarah, his wife. Brilliant. We uh, started our uh, reboot series on uh, Sunday, the 11th of April, 2021. And now uh, 22 messages and four and a half months later, it reaches its conclusion with the death of Abraham and Sarah. And uh, if you've been journeying with us for the last number of months, you'd understand uh, when I say that they've become kind of like friends, as we've journeyed through their kind of highs and their lows, uh, the good and the bad, the twists and turns of their marriage, which really has charted about 62 years over the time that we've been uh, looking at them, 62 years of their marriage specifically. And over those 62 years that they were uh, married, they weren't exactly always couple goals. Uh, Perhaps you'll remember there was uh, an occasion where Abraham uh, tried to give away his wife, Uh, not just once, but twice, once to Pharaoh and once to Abimelech. And likewise, there were times that Sarah gave away a husband, uh, specifically in relation to giving him away to, to Hagar, the servant girl. Uh, with the fairly uh, modern idea that uh, she might be something of a surrogate for them. And so we've seen really, um, they've really tried their hardest at points to get rid of each other, but God has pulled them back together. And, And I've been married for over 10 years. And if you've been married for over six months, you get this. If you're not yet married or you aspire to marriage, if you get married one day, there will be moments where you genuinely consider putting your spouse up to a uh, to collector on Gumtree. Uh, those moments will happen. Uh, why, I'm pretty so, sure, certain that I saw Rich Spear for sale only last week. Uh, rumor has it Mike Spence is going out on the cheap next week as well. And so the reality is that they had a marriage much like the marriages that we have today. As we've journeyed, we've seen them experience much of what we might experience. You may remember, they experienced what it was like to be on their own, with God calling them actually away from uh, much familial support. They experienced, like many of us, what it was like to struggle to put food on the table with the famine of Genesis chapter 12. Uh, they experienced uh, something of the frustration of a lack of home ownership, again, like so many of us, uh, with God calling them to live in tents for 62 years of their lives. Not only that, but we, we've also seen them struggle with a blended family, uh, managing kind of uh, ex-partners and, and then children from different relationships. Again, like many of us, uh, we've seen them have their fair share of arguments, uh, especially over how to parent the children, uh, particularly in relation to Abraham's son Ishmael and his wayward behaviour. We've seen them uh, experience what it's like to have a son backslide uh, with Lot being Abraham's nephew, but really a kind of a son-like character to him going off into the world of Sodom and Gomorrah. And of course, we've experienced over our period how they struggled uh, for decades, actually, to uh, conceive, decades. Now, though they experienced these kinds of trials and tribulations, they would also, in their 62 years of marriage, experience some real moments of, of joy. Uh, We see that in particular in relation to the the birth, the miraculous birth of their son Isaac to Sarah when she was 90 years old, Uh, with so much joy and laughter around them that they would name their child Laughter, which is the meaning of the name Isaac. And after all they've been through, 62 years, the highs and the lows, it's time uh, for them to be separated by death with God calling home Abraham's precious princess. And as he does, we see in our passage, Abraham drop to his knees and weep the first tears in the whole Bible as he mourns the loss of his precious wife. And I guess the first thing to note really is about the Bible and just how real it is. This is what it says. It says, Sarah died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Mourn and weep. What the Bible doesn't say here is, and the angels of the Lord called to Abraham saying, Abraham, Abraham, chin up. Why are you crying? Sarah's with me in heaven now. No, 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 no. The Bible, the Bible really has mourning and death tears really as mega themes. At the death of friends, family, even foes, the Bible affirms the crucial role of mourning. And therefore, we mustn't just kind of gloss over his tears here, it's good to linger there for a moment at least. And the the truth is that these kinds of tears were never ever meant to touch the, the soil of this earth. Uh, to understand where death even came from, because death was not a part of God's original plan. To understand where death came from, we need to really go back to another key marriage in the Bible. And that's the first one, our first parents, Adam and Eve. Because God would, would create Adam and Eve, humanity, and then place them into a garden called Eden, and he'd give them great responsibility. And he'd say to them that you could eat of the fruit of the tree, of any tree in the garden, but there's one tree that you're forbidden from eating the fruit from. And he said, he, he warned them. He said, if you eat the tree, if they eat the fruit from this tree, you will die. We all know the story, I'm sure. That's exactly what they did. They, they chose to disobey God. And in so doing, they would choose sin rather than righteousness, which is to choose death rather than life. And, and they are correlated. They are on a continuum. The Bible says uh, sin leads to death. The wages of sin is death. These are uh, Bible verses here which means that if, if sin, if sin is, I don't know, if, uh, the seed, death is the tree that sprouts from the seed that dominates the whole land. If sin are the pennies, death is the pound. And so through this choice, humanity would cut themselves off from God and, and actually bring upon ourselves a curse, Uh, God would uh, go ahead with the curse in Genesis chapter 3, verse 19, saying, return to the ground, saying to the man and the woman, return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And just as a, a flower taken out from its source dies, so to humanity now cut off from its source, God who created it would now surely die. This is the origin of of, of death, this is the origin of Abraham's suffering here. But it's important to say that this isn't the the last thing that the Bible would say on the matter, by no means. God would immediately actually begin his process of rebooting all that he created, and that's very much what we've been studying for the last number of months here in this series. Choosing a man, Abraham, uh, looking to raise up for himself in the midst of the earth, uh, a people characterised by faith. Ultimately, completing and culminating this reboot in the person of Jesus Christ. And for Jesus to achieve this reboot, he would have to step in to this world of sin, this world of mourning, this world of death, and he would have to experience something of what Abraham experiences here: the trauma of loss. And Jesus lost people. Jesus lost his cousin. His cousin was beheaded, his cousin called John the Baptist. When Jesus uh, receives word that John the Baptist has has died, the Bible says that he uh, withdrew to a desolate area by himself. Fascinating. Not only did Jesus lose his cousin, but Jesus lost his uh, stepdad, Joseph, with it widely being accepted that Joseph died when Jesus was a young age. Joseph likely died when Jesus was a teenager, perhaps slightly older. One thing that we know for certain is that there is no record of this good man after Jesus is 12 years old. Jesus didn't just lose his cousin and his stepdad. Jesus would also lose his his friend, Lazarus, who he would famously raise from the dead. Nevertheless, the point remains that Jesus knew what it was to mourn. He knew what it was to weep He wept tears at the funeral of Lazarus. He would cry out with loud cries and tears in intense seasons of prayer. He would weep and cry over the city of Jerusalem and how wayward it was. Jesus knew one or two things about weeping, about mourning. And because Jesus would enter into this experience of ours and wept tears, he would become the savior, uniquely able to wipe away our tears. That's what the Bible says. Revelation chapter 21 verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from our eyes, and there and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. And if this is true, if this is true, it means that no tear that you have ever shed has been forgotten. It means that no tear that you have ever shed has been wasted. Because just as Jesus keeps a record of the number of hairs on our head, so too Jesus keeps a record of the number of tears that you have shed. Psalm 56 verse eight, put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? What should we say to these things then? Well, tears, tears are important to God. Abraham's tears here, they're important to God. Your tears, your tears are important to God. But That's Abraham. What about Sarah? We've seen how God responds to Abraham in his grief, but Sarah here breathes her last. And it's an important question, because while I dare say most of us have sadly been Abraham here, none of us have been Sarah here, at least not yet. And so so what do Sarah's experience from God in their dying moments? This is what the Bible says. It says this. Precious, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints, Psalm 116 verse 15. Precious. And while I'm tempted at this point to to rush on to resurrection and talk about the glories of heaven, which actually this passage is is bursting with, uh, we do well just to linger on the preciousness of a believer's death. And, And this isn't theory for so many of us, certainly not theory for me. About um, just over 18 months ago, I lost my brother. Uh, He was 18 years old. He died in a a, a freak accident. And um, he actually died a month to the day before uh, our son would be born. And he was uh, so looking forward to becoming an uncle for the very first time. I'm so glad that um, he went to uh, an event that we're involved in as a church called New Day. Three years before he died, he went to New Day and he put his faith in Jesus Christ. He died a believer, but a question that I've often asked over the period is, because he died alone, I wasn't there, his mum wasn't there. Did Jesus help my brother in those dying moments? Was he there? It's not theory for so many of us. And the conclusion that I've come to is the Bible, God reveals himself as a very present help in a time of trouble. There are a few times in life that are more troubling than your own death. The Bible declares that God is not far from any one of us. Meaning that if you're a believer in Jesus, you should expect from God in death, more of what you've received from God in life. With Jesus being a, a good shepherd, shepherding his people through, through the valley of the shadow of death. That's what Jesus is like. And we see an example of this in the Bible. We see Jesus being all of this and more Uh, to a man who is literally a few minutes away from his death in the Bible. There's a man that was crucified next to Jesus. We call him the thief on the cross. Uh, He he was crucified justly um, by his own admission. And a Roman crucifixion was really um, reserved for the very worst of the worst of the worst. Uh, So you can really imagine the sort of things that he he did in his life. At the very end of his life, he kind of, he puts his faith in Jesus. <laughs> he acknowledges, I, I deserve this. I deserve punishment. But Jesus, remember me. Remember me in your kingdom. And as this man is fading away, Jesus would direct his gaze towards him and say, I assure you, you today will be with me in paradise Even in Jesus's own pain, it would prove impossible to prevent him from shepherding his own. Even evil men, he would shepherd right to the very end. And that's that's just one example. I can tell you of another example in the stoning of Stephen Stephen was a, a man full of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament and he began to speak boldly to the religious leaders uh, of the day and it got him killed. He, he was stoned, and um, as he was dying it says that he saw um, heaven open and he saw the Son of Man who is Jesus seated at the right hand of God. Only he, he wouldn't be seated The Bible talks about Jesus being seated at the right hand of God several times, seated. He's finished his work. But in this moment, Stephen saw Jesus standing. In the most out of control moment of Stephen's life, his own death, Jesus would split the heavens and show Stephen who really is in control. He showed him with the king rising to his feet, cheering on Stephen in his faith-filled death. Abraham went to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Friend, are you grieving? Are you grieving? Where have you been crying? Maybe maybe you're not grieving a, a literal death, maybe it's another kind of death. Maybe it's the death of a a business, the death of a a job, the death of a, a house sale or a house purchase. Maybe it's the death of an opportunity. Well, let me say this. If you believe in Jesus, you have a friend. You have a friend that weeps with those who weep, comforts those who mourn, and promises to be a good shepherd to you, whether in life or in death. It's not the only thing we see. We, we also see what picks Abraham up in this passage. The reality is that our culture is very uh, geared to the first day. And by the first day, I mean the wedding day, and rightly so. The wedding day is like an amazing day, and it's, it's appropriate to celebrate the creation of a wedding covenant. But our culture speaks not much about the last day uh, the last day that Abraham and Sarah experience here. And, the reality is that the last day is actually greater than the first day. The last day defines the success of the first day. And while we have kind of bridal magazines and bridal ex, uh, exhibitions, rather, and we have uh, kind of TV programs like, you know, what's that called? Uh, don't Tell the Bride, etc., cetera, et cetera. Uh, The reality is that we don't have many kind of How to Bury Your Spouse magazines, and there aren't many TV programs about it. Not even on Channel 5. But we see here the hope of resurrection is what gets Abraham through and encourages Abraham in the mourning of the death of his wife. This is what it says it says, and Abraham rose up before his dead, and, and he begins, as he rises up from weeping, he begins once again to ooze faith and hope. And it's worth mentioning, by resurrection, what we mean here is that the physical raising of our bodies from the dead uh, to meet our spirits, if you like, so that we'd be body and spirit much as we are today, just in a a new environment in heaven through faith in Jesus, of course. And, And Abraham, his faith in the resurrection is really seen in where he chooses to bury Sarah, in where he chooses to bury her. That sounds a bit strange, but we'll get to it. This is what it says. It says, And Abraham rose up from before his dead and said to the Hittites, I am a sojourner and a foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place that I may bury my dead out of my sight. And here Abraham enters negotiation with one of the tribes in the land of of Canaan. What Abraham is looking to do here is he's looking to purchase a piece of land to bury his wife Uh, Abraham hasn't owned any land at all, even though he's a very rich man, but now he's choosing to purchase some land to bury Sarah. And it's a real, a real faith move here from him. And he goes on to say, after this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah, east of Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And and Canaan, Canaan is really important. Uh, Canaan is the place that God told Abraham to, and his wife, Sarah, to, to move to, to leave their country, kindred and father's house and, and to, to move to this new land that they likely would have never have been to before, but they would obey him and go to Canaan and live there for over 62 years. And it would be in Canaan that God would promise them descendants. And it wouldn't, not just descendants, right? God, God would promise them descendants, numbering the stars in the sky. And moreover, he would say, those descendants are going to inherit the land of Canaan. It's going to be theirs. He's going to give it to them as a, a possession. And it's important to, to note at this point that Canaan really relates to Israel. It's, it's the same geographic land, really, with Israel, excuse me, with Canaan being its previous name. And these key promises that we've been following for the last number of months, really, they did, they were somewhat fulfilled, somewhat, in the time of Joshua. Joshua being uh, the leader, it's a book of the Bible called Joshua, the leader that took over from Moses and he would lead the people of Israel into the the promised land, the land of the promises or the land of milk and honey as it's also referred to. Uh, That's ultimately what would happen. But in the grand scheme of things, it was short-lived. It it wouldn't achieve the fullness of what God had promised. And, And quite frankly, This is where Abraham's faith is pretty amazing Uh, because Abraham all the while was never looking to a physical kind of land for God to fulfill his promises. He wasn't looking to an earthly land principally. Uh, No, Abraham believed that the promises that were promised to him, these two of land and descendants would ultimately be fully fulfilled through a heavenly land. We see this in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 10, when it says, Abraham was looking forward to a city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. So Abraham was actually all the while looking to nothing on earth. He understood that ultimately his hope was in the resurrection, that he'd be raised from the dead and he would inherit all of the promises of God through being raised. And, and this, this land, this land that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God is what we call heaven. And it's described in some detail in, uh, in the book of, the, of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 21, it talks about this. It says, and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal, it had a great high wall with 12 gates and at the gates, 12 angels and on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. Uh, Meaning that this kind of promised earthly land of Canaan was something of a seed it was something that was pointing to this, this wonderful heavenly land that was yet to come and to be inherited ultimately through the resurrection. Meaning that by Abraham and Sarah living in Canaan, they were living in faith-filled anticipation of a coming kingdom. It means that through mourning the death of his wife, Abraham trusted that he and Sarah would one day be raised from the dead, living forever in this city in the midst of their descendants, the people of faith, that would number more than the stars in the sky. Abraham trusted that that God would reboot all that he had created. God would reboot all the things that death had defiled and destroyed, ushering in a new era. Abraham trusted that the fullness of the kingdom of God will come on earth as it is in heaven. He knew that God had given him a a greater hope, a greater hope than just, Sarah, she's in a better place. A greater hope than, Sarah, we will see each other again. Although those two things are absolutely true. But Abraham trusted that he and Sarah would both See the earth being filled with the knowledge and the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. How? Well, it says this in Revelation 21, he who was seated on the throne says, behold, I am making all things new. Or to use the language of our series, he who was seated on the throne says, behold, I am making all things reboot. And Abraham is so compelled by this vision that he chooses not to bury Sarah where she was born, not to bury Sarah where she grew up, but bury Sarah in this land, this promised land of Canaan. And it would be costly for him. He would pay 400 shekels of silver, which scholars believe to be about 50 years salary. So about 1.5 million pounds. But Abraham wouldn't negotiate. (laughs) He wouldn't negotiate. He, he, he wanted a stake in this kingdom at all costs. So he would pay full price. It was something of a, a deposit, something of a guarantee. Owning this slither of Canaan, for trusting that the fullness of what God has promised him, he would ultimately receive. This was a big faith move by Abraham here. And he made direction for Sarah to be buried in that plot and for himself to be buried right alongside his wife. Abraham was so confident in the promise of God, that he wouldn't just plant his flag in the ground of Canaan. He would plant his body in the ground of Canaan. And if you're a Christian, you can have this same confidence. You can have the same confidence as Abraham in the resurrection. You can, because Jesus has done it. It is finished. It was declared. There's nothing left for him to do. It's open to you through faith. And just as Abraham, at great cost to himself, would would pay the price to enable his love to get into the land, the promised land, so too Jesus would pay a greater price to enable the ones he loves to enter into the heavenly promised land. And Jesus wouldn't pay with shekels or shillings or pounds, Jesus would pay with a commodity far more costly. Jesus would pay with his own blood being nailed to a cross, dying for our sin, paying the penalty for us, making provision for the forgiveness of God to come to us and enabling us to enter into the same promised land that Abraham was hoping for. I tell you, this isn't just theory. This isn't just wishful thinking. This isn't just the power of positive thinking because Jesus has indeed been risen from the dead the firstborn of all who were fallen asleep, declared the son of God in power, all Bible verses. Jesus didn't just say that he would rise from the dead. Jesus Jesus declares himself as the resurrection, meaning that it's all in him, it's all in Jesus. Therefore, Jesus is the only one that has the authority in heaven on earth and under the earth to, to raise you from the dead, dear friend. And he promises the moment you die to, to take you up into his presence. The very second you breathe your last is the very second he, he takes you up into this wonderful place with him. There is no delay. There is no purgatory. There is no limbo. Jesus takes you to his presence and promises to raise you up on the last day. And it would be, on this day that Jesus, when he returns, brings the curtain down on this age, as he brings heaven down, ready for the eternal age. And it will be on this day that he finally concludes the work he started with this man, Abraham. History now complete, reboot accomplished.